It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Military people hate siege warfare. It costs a lot of money. It's time-consuming, a lot of labor. Often what they'd had during the Crusades, the army would, would just hope that there was a traitor in the city that would slip up to the gates at night, unlock the door, and open the gates because the enemy could then do from the inside what they could not do from the outside. And that's happening in the church in America. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. Now, here's Pastor Chad. I want you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, this is fundamental. God has always had a group on planet Earth that represents him and his holiness and his character. In the Old Testament, I hope y'all do better than the last service did. In the Old Testament, what was that nation that reflected God's character? Anybody know? Israel. Now, God says to Israel... In the Old Testament, I have brought you out of bondage in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible symbolizes the world, the world system, immorality, paganism. God says, I brought you out of Egypt, taking you through the desert, and I'm going to take you into the promised land. And while they're going through the desert, in Leviticus chapter 18, God takes a time out. And here's what he says. He says, Israel, never forget, I brought you out of Egypt to be my special people. And here's what I expect of you. I want you to reflect my character. I want you as a group to reflect my holiness, my character, my purity, okay? Now, God is going to use Israel again one day during the tribulation and then during the millennial reign of Jesus. But right now, who are the people of God on planet Earth? The church, we are. And God says the same thing to us. He says, look, church... If you're born again believer, I have brought you out of Egypt. I have brought you out of spiritual bondage to Satan. We are now going through the desert. One day we're going to go into the promised land. And God speaks to the church through Peter. And he says in 1 Peter 2, 9, hey, y'all, you're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Y'all are a holy nation Listen, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Same thing he told Israel. Y'all are my special people. Now, church, I want you to reflect my holiness and my character. Now, Satan hates that. That's why he's attacked Israel, and that's why he's attacking the church today, because we are God's representatives on planet Earth. And Satan has two strategies to try to bring down the church. Two strategies, two main strategies. You know, in Second uh, Corinthians, Paul says this, we need to understand the schemes, the devices of Satan. Satan has two strategies, two schemes to bring down the church. And one is an outside-in strategy. We call that persecution. Where Satan comes against the church, he persecutes the church. That is an outside-in strategy. And listen to me. It never works. Have y'all been keeping up with what's going on with the church in Canada 
how the Canadian government is cracking down on the church. I didn't say China. I said Canada. And uh, I saw a documentary on this this past week. And it's interesting. As much pressure as the Canadian government is bringing against the church, several times in this documentary it says, but the church is growing. The church is growing. That outside-in strategy doesn't work. The second strategy of Satan is compromise. That is an inside-out strategy. In fact, I was reading about them. Um, the Crusades a while back. And it's interesting, during the Crusades, whether it be a Muslim army coming against a Christian city or a Christian city coming against a Muslim army, uh, when they would come against the city, the city would have a strong wall around it. And um, military people hate siege warfare. It costs a lot of money. It's time-consuming, a lot of labor. Often what they'd had during the Crusades, the army would, would just hope that there was a traitor in the city that would slip up to the gates at night unlock the door and open the gates because the enemy could then do from the inside what they could not do from the outside. And that's happening in the church in America. It's called compromise. The enemy has put people in the church in America and we're compromising the word of God. We're compromising God's holy standards and Satan is doing from the inside of the church what he can never do from the outside. And I'm trying to be mean and I'm trying to be nasty. But if we're going to be the people of God, we've got to call that out. We can't just let it happen. In fact, y'all know who R.C. Sproul is? Great theologian, great author, Calvinist uh, 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 author. He says this, quote, This is a battle we cannot wage effectively if we always try to come across to the world as merely nice, nonchalant, docile, agreeable, fun-loving people. We must not take our cues from others who are perfectly happy to compromise the truth for the sake of unity or so that everybody will just get along. Friendly dialogue may sound affable and pleasant, but neither Christ nor the apostles ever confronted serious soul-destroying error by building collegial relationships with false teachers. In fact, we are expressly forbidden to do so in places like Romans 16, 17, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, 6, 2 Timothy 3, 5, 2 John 10 and 11. We are forbidden for compromising with false teachers. And so in Revelation chapter 2, remember Jesus is speaking through John and he writes seven letters to seven specific churches on the Asian mainland, to the modern Turkey today. And it's interesting, if you look at the order of these letters, they go right along with the first century postal route. It's, it's interesting how geographically precise this is. And so I'm going to read, look, I'm going to read more scripture today than I usually do, okay? I heard somebody say years ago, preacher, when you preach a sermon, use as much scripture as possible. That way, at least that part of your sermon will be right. And so, <laughs> Revelation... Chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. 
Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the white stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, and as as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus, first of all, writes to this church that's in this city called, do you see this? This city called Pergamos. Now Jesus says something in verse 13. He says, Pergamos, where this church is operating, is in the same city where Satan's throne is. Now what does he mean by that? It could mean two things. Pergamos had a temple to the god Zeus, and in that temple was this giant throne to Zeus. And people come from all over the ancient world to go to that that, uh, temple and go before that throne to worship Zeus. He may be talking about that, where Satan's throne is. He also may be saying, and here's what I think, y'all believe in this uh, this concept of, um, of geographical principalities? Y'all believe that? I believe over every city, God, oh, pardon me, over every city, Satan has, de, has assigned a demon. I think there's a demon over every city. I think there's a demon over every state. I think that's highly organized. I think there's a demon over Raleigh. I think it is a powerful demon. Because as goes Raleigh, so goes the rest of North Carolina, and North Carolina can shape our nation. And so I believe that Satan has, de- has designated a principality over the city. And there at Pergamos, Jesus says this, it is a spiritually significant city and Satan himself, not a demon, Satan himself is headquartered in your city. And uh, Jesus says this, look, he says, church, I remember a couple years ago when Satan tried the outside in strategy to bring down your church. Do you see that there in verse 13 where it talks about a man named Antipas? What he's saying is, church, a few years ago, Satan tried that outside-in strategy in your church at Pergamos by having one of your church leaders named Antipas killed. Now, we don't know who he was, but I love that name Antipas. The name Antipas, anti means against, pos means everybody. Evidently, he was a man that said, you know what? If nobody else follows Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. Y'all can stand for error, that's fine, but I'm going to stand for the truth. Even if I'm the only one standing, I am against everybody because I'm going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And evidently he was killed, and we don't know how he's killed. Tradition says this man, Antipas, this church leader, was placed in a brass bowl and slowly roasted to death. And then Jesus talks to the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was the smallest city of the seven cities that he addresses, and this is the longest letter. Thyatira really started out as an insignificant little town. It was really a military garrison. There's this long valley that goes to Pergamos, and they started a military garrison there, and then it kind of grew, and it became the city of Thyatira. And it was the epicenter of a, of a flourishing uh, textile industry. And that's where this church is established. Now, here's the problem. In that town, that textile industry, every part of that textile industry was unionized, okay? Or they had like a guild. And so you would have the Wool Dyers Guild, okay? You would have the, I don't know, Wool Shearers Guild. You would have the, you know, a Weaver Union, and over every one of these guilds and every one of these unions, they had a patron god or goddess. So if you're working for this company, if you're working for this guild in Thyatira, you have a god that's over that union. And you're expected to pledge your loyalty to that god or goddess. And once a year, kind of like their Christmas party, they'd have a big raucous party in honor of that God and all kinds of filthy, perverted stuff would go on. What do you do if you're a Christian in Thyatira just trying to make a living and you go to work on Monday and they say, hey, you're one of those Christians who go to that church at Thyatira, don't you? Yeah. Hey, you forgot to pledge your loyalty to Aphrodite. You do it or you're going to lose your job. People keep saying you need to make the Bible relevant. I don't need to make the Bible anything. Bible's already relevant. Y'all deal with some of that mess today. You go to work and your guild or your union or your work says, wear the rainbow pin, put rainbows on your Facebook because if you don't show sufficient enthusiasm, you're going to get a visit from HR. Same kind of mess today. And so Jesus is riding these churches in some challenging situations. And um, Jesus gives them the heads up strategy. He says, hey, church, this outside in strategy of Satan, it didn't work. So he's saying to these churches, you now have some inside out mess going on. Satan has infiltrated your church and he is trying to bring that church down from the inside out. And he gives two examples of that. Jot this down. First of all, he gives the example of Balaam. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Jesus is saying, church, what's going on with you, this inside-out strategy, is the same thing that happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's people have been led out of bondage from Egypt, they're going through the desert, and as they're going through the desert, all the different nations see Israel coming, and they're all scared. So there was a king named King Balak. He sees, sees the Israelites that come in his direction, so he hired a sorcerer named Balaam. Balaam was from Mesopotamia, bona fide sorcerer. He hired this sorcerer, and he says, Balaam, you have the power to speak curses over people, and they're cursed. You have the power to speak curses over nations and families, and they're cursed. I'm going to pay you $100,000 to go and curse the people of God, the people of Israel. Balaam says, absolutely. He takes the money. He goes to the top of a mountain. He goes to curse the people of God, and when he opens up his mouth and tries to curse, instead he begins to bless the people of God. And he stops, and he says, what in the world is that? 
And so he tries it again. And he blesses him again. And he realized what's happening is God is operating through his mouth. And King Balak says, look, I didn't pay you $100,000 to bless him. I paid you $100,000 to curse him. And he says, I can't curse him. But he says, Balak, let's, let's change our strategy here. I can't curse them from the outside. But King, do this. When they're camped out tonight, send some hot, pretty, midnight women. And y'all have a big party. Invite all these Israelites to the party. And these Israelite men who could not be brought down from the outside, they'll be brought down from the inside. And that's what they did. They had a party. There was entertainment. Everybody's having a good time. And the women came in and the men fell morally. And Satan did on the inside what he could not do from the outside. Church, listen to me. I'm not saying we need to go back to the old days. I'm not saying let's get rid of all of our instruments and go back to pianos and organs and let's be hee-haw church with Roy Clark and Buck Owens. I'm not saying that. But I do think this. The church in America might be becoming a little bit too cute for its own good. I'm going to tell you something. When we become an an entertainment-oriented church, sexual immorality always follows close behind. And so so I, I just believe, look, I'm not here to entertain you. You do realize that, right? I was telling my wife this past, I didn't tell this to the other church, I told my wife this past week, I said, I feel so bad. I said, I want to do some encouraging sermons. When do I get to do some encouraging sermons? And I don't guess I'll be able to till the end of the book of Revelation and then we'll get something happy. Job. I'll go to the book of Job. Job is this. 40 chapters of life stinks and then it gets better. That's Job. All right, so, but I want to be encouraging. And, and I, I, I remember an old quote that I heard from Charles Spurgeon. He said, the time will come in the last days when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, they'll have clowns entertaining the goats. And that's what was happening in that church. That, that was the first example of an inside-out strategy. Jesus is saying to the church at Pergamon, wake up, it's happening. Second example of an inside-out strategy is, uh, is uh, look in verse 20. You know, there's this idea, have you heard of this, this idea of the Jezebel spirit? Y'all heard of that before? There's been books written on the Jezebel spirit. Seminars on the Jezebel spirit, this esoteric, mysterious stuff. This is not mysterious. Here's the Jezebel spirit, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, church, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. Now, who's this Jezebel lady? In the Old Testament, it's not the same lady, okay? This is 850 years before. In the Old Testament, you have a woman named Jezebel. She was a Canaanite princess that married a king of Israel. And here's what she said. This Canaanite woman married to this king said to the people of God, said to Israel, keep worshiping Yahweh. Keep reading your Bible. Keep going to synagogue and keep going to the temple. That's fine. But there's this other God I want to tell you about as well. His name is Baal. And he'll let you sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Drink whatever you want to drink. Snort whatever you want to snort. He's really a fun-loving God. So keep worshiping Yahweh, but why don't you add Baal to that as well? And that was that Jezebel spirit, Jesus said, that was happening in that church where they were being told, worship Jesus, go to church, read your Bible, get baptized, do all of that. But this lady, evidently she was a teacher in the church, that said, but you can live however you want. You can come to worship Jesus on Sunday and raise your hands and say shalala all you want and then Monday through Saturday you can live like a pagan. And that had infiltrated that 
that church. That's that Jezebel spirit. And beloved, that spirit is alive and well in this city and in this country. Can I give you a couple examples of the Jezebel spirit? I gotta be very careful about this. I'm not gonna name churches, whatever. But I saw a video of a church in the area where last week on Father's Day, here was their Father's Day sermon. No Bible. It was people coming to the pulpit to give their testimony. And their testimonies went something like this. I was married, had several children, but realized I was a homosexual. And so one day I had the courage to be true to myself and leave my wife and leave my kids and live the openly homosexual lifestyle and the church applauded. That's the Jezebel spirit. When a church applauds a man for leaving his wife and kids and engaging in that kind of lifestyle, that's the Jezebel spirit. I'll give you another example. There's a lady, and some of y'all have quoted her on Facebook. She was one of the most popular speakers in a Lutheran denomination. And she says things like this. Hey, church, porn is okay as long as it is, quote, ethically sourced porn. Not child porn or human trafficking, but as long as the people who shot the porn did it willingly, porn is beautiful and it's healthy and it's okay. And she has reverend in front of her name. In fact, she, she resigned her church recently to go into full-time speaking and writing, and she turned her church over to a man that's married to another man, but it's okay because the man that this guy's married to dresses like a woman, and that's, it's a drag queen. That's that Jezebel spirit, and it has infiltrated the American church. Now listen to me. I love you, but you need to hear this. Just because somebody has reverend in front of their name just because they wear a backwards collar, just because they have a seminary degree, doesn't necessarily mean they speak for God. Y'all do understand that, right? Because some of y'all, I'm just telling you, some of y'all getting sucked into some craziness out there. They don't speak for God. In fact, I was reading about, uh, you ever heard of the Battle of the Bulge? It was uh, during World War II. The Allies had landed. They're gonna push the Germans back all the way to Berlin. This is gonna be the end of the war. And the Germans are being pushed back and they did this massive counterattack and they, they fought. And it was actually a pretty, pretty, almost a successful counterattack. And what the German army did is they said this. Now look, as these Americans come in, they're going to want to know which way to Berlin. So let's get some German soldiers that speak really good English. Let's dress them in American uniforms and let's position them at the crossroads. And when the army gets to the crossroads and they say, which way to Berlin? Here's what we'll do. We'll tell them to say, oh, Berlin? Berlin is that way, even though Berlin was that way. And that's exactly what happened. They would get to these crossroads and they would talk to these men who looked like Americans, sounded like Americans, dressed like Americans, and say, which way to Berlin? And they said that way when Berlin was really that way. And Satan is doing that today. He has placed people in the body of Christ. They look like Christians. They may sound like Christians. They may have Christian names and Christian titles. And they're saying Jesus is that way. And they're sending a whole generation to hell because they don't know Jesus. Jesus and they don't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's the church supposed to do? I mean, how do we fight this inside out strategy? Y'all believe this is going on in the church in America? Well, then how do we fight this? Let me give you three things. Number one, repent. 
If you're in this mess, if you're one of these people who have this antinomian idea that you can be a born again believer and live however you want, you need to repent. And Jesus says this, look in verse 16. Repent, verse 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. God in his grace is saying to these people, I love you, I'm gonna give you time to repent and change. Folks, we keep talking about revival in America. How many of y'all are hungry to see some kind of move of God in America? Did you know historically, every great move of God started with repentance? Did you know that? There's not one move of God that didn't start with a return to God's holy standards. It doesn't work that way. In fact, a prominent evangelist announced two weeks ago that he's gonna start a church and he says, in our church, we're gonna see revival. We're gonna see prophecies, angels, miracles, and healings. That's great, but he left one thing out. It starts with holiness. It starts with repentance. Dr. Michael Brown puts it this way. He said, we must never forget revival is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit, although he brings great joy, not the Hollywood spirit, in spite of our Hollywood celebrity preachers. No, he is the Holy Spirit. I have heard him described as wild, as exciting, as creative, but have we forgotten that he is also holy? His manifest presence is holy and his work is to make us holy. Wow. Evidently, this inside-out attack was starting to spread to other churches as well. Jesus is giving to them and to us a sober warning. This ain't going to end well. Jesus, I'm I'm, I'm just telling you, this is not going to end pretty. People ask me, what's it like to be a pastor? It's like standing on the edge of a cliff and there's all these bones of broken families and homes and people down there. And somebody will walk to the edge of that cliff and I'll say, hey, hey, stop, 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 stop. I've seen a family go over this cliff before and, and, and look at that destruction. Don't do this. You need to back up. And the person will say to me, thank you. It's great to hear a man of God from the pulpit that doesn't compromise. Thank you so much. And they jump off the cliff. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.